Hi, I'm Dan. I'm a photographer, father and husband. And this is the Booze Break Podcast. This is the show for people like me who find themselves stuck in a loop of drinking more often and in more quantity than they'd like. You're welcome to follow me on my journey to change my relationship with booze and explore ways in which to live a more productive, healthy, fulfilling and alcohol-free lifestyle. Welcome to the Booze Break Podcast. podcast is a diary of my journey taking a break from alcohol as well as looking into different ways to help sustain a break from the booze. We'll be going into the ups and downs as I circumnavigate my way through work, family life and social situations without the hooch. I'll be delving into the benefits of living booze free and tackling subjects such as uh, social pressure, health, identity and alcohol representation in the media. Just a quick warning, there's likely to be some choice language and adult themes peppered throughout this series, so if you're easily offended or have children within earshot, you've been forewarned. Full disclaimer up front, I'm not an expert in any of these fields. My opinions are purely based on my own experiences and a little research. I also want to make it clear that I do not judge anyone based on their relationship with alcohol. Do what you want, drink what you want. But if you're like me and want to change your relationship with booze, whether that be to stop completely, uh, take a break, or just cut down, you're welcome here. Hello, I'm Dan and welcome to the Booze Break Podcast. How's your Booze Break going so far? I'd love to hear from you. Just a quick reminder, if you haven't already, I'd love it if you could subscribe to the Booze Break Podcast. Um, We are available on Spotify, iTunes, um, Podchaser, pretty much all of the directories. So it'd be be amazing if you could um, subscribe. And also I'd really, really appreciate it if you could leave me a rating and a review on iTunes, on Apple Podcasts. Uh, Unfortunately, if you're on Android, I don't think there's really many places where you can leave a review. But if you do have an iTunes account, I'd love it if you could leave me a review. It really makes a big difference to the show. The more ratings and reviews that we have, uh, the more it kind of gets boosted in the algorithms with uh, Apple Podcasts. And it means that it can get out to more and more people. So if you find the time to do that, I'd really, really appreciate it. I've got a very special guest on today's episode, Dennis Simsek, also known as the Anxiety Guy. He's got an incredible YouTube channel with over 90,000 subscribers subscribers at the time of this recording. He's got an in-depth podcast uh, which has been awarded best of iTunes in the health category so that's fantastic. Dennis has helped thousands of people overcome their anxiety disorders through his courses, videos and podcasts and he has a new book called Foot Coping Start Healing. Keen listeners of the show will notice that I messed up the title of his book when I introduced it, which is very embarrassing. But Dennis was kind enough not to say anything, so that's cool. In this episode, we talk about how anxiety and alcohol are directly linked, and that even moderate drinkers will experience the effects that booze has on their anxiety and depression. We'll be looking into ways in which you can substitute alcohol uh, with more healthy habits and live a more healthy and fulfilled life with less anxiety. I'm super excited to bring this episode to you, so let's get to it. So, Dennis, welcome to the Booze Bait Podcast. How are you today? I'm excited, my friend. I mean, this insight is going to be quite valuable. So thank you for having me. I'm truly blessed. It's an honor for me. Um, for, for any of my listeners who... Um, aren't necessarily familiar with with your work and what you do. Can you give us a brief introduction to, first of all, who you are um, and, and, you know, kind of a a little mini biography almost? Absolutely. Um, Well, my online name goes by the Anxiety Guy. So anywhere you go, social or 
search engine wise and you type the anxiety guy, you'll kind of recognize um, my own journey through an anxiety disorder, multiple anxiety disorders, um, kind of the emotional yo-yo of life and coming out of that um, 10 times the person I've really ever been in my life. Um, I started with anxiety very young, as many people do, but don't consciously really recognize. Um, three, four, five, six traumas were kind of the, the roots of what I was feeling presently. And then um, the anxiety kind of became an identity for me. I carried it no matter where I went. Um, I had to check in with it when I was meeting new people or doing anything new. And uh, a lot of times I, I, I thought myself out of the things I truly wanted to do in my life because of anxiety. Um, and then once I found sort of a formula, if you want to call it, um, that's, that focuses on many different aspects of healing, I said, you know, since I'm looking around the anxiety support groups and such, and I see so much pain and distress, why not do something with this? Why not spread some messages and see if people will actually listen to what I have to say? And that was um, years ago. And then here we are now, kind of with the podcast and the YouTubes and the programs and such. It's good. Uh, I mean, I love it. And then that's, that's how I um, came across um, you in the first place when I was struggling with anxiety. It's a good couple of three years ago, something like that now. And it was the, um, I was in a really, really bad way. I'd never experienced anything like this before. So to get it into in my late twenties and have no idea what it was, first of all, I didn't know it was anxiety. I mm. just knew something was terribly, terribly wrong. And, um, and then when I, when I, uh, I spoke to one of my lovely, lovely friends, Sarah, who's um, a therapist, a, th a mm -hmm. therapist isn't the right word to describe what she, what she is. She's a psychiatrist, psychologist, I beg your mm -hmm. pardon. There's a difference. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, uh, she explained that, that, you know, that, that I was having anxiety, it was specifically health anxiety. Mm -hmm. and, um, and then so I started researching it. And then the healing process really started when I started to watch your um, your, your videos and, and cool. realize, and cause it was the first time that someone had explained the symptoms that I was having. Mm -hmm. And that was literally such a big jump, um, in a positive direction. Cause I was like, okay, this isn't just me. I'm normal. Yeah. And what, <laughs> yeah. what I loved about what, um, your content and what you did was you broke it down into like really, really minute, mm -hmm. um, um, feelings that I couldn't even express myself. You know, what I was feeling, I couldn't express out almost like out of body type um, scenarios, uh, depersonalization, um, even the symptoms that you were explaining. I was like, I've got that, you know, I I've, I've, that's yeah. me. Um, uh, so huge, um, you know, first of all, thank you so much because it was, it was you know, my recovery that's from anxiety was in um, no small part uh, to yourself. But, and also you, you're, um, I'm interested to find this because I'm, I'm, I'm wondering whether I'm, I'm doing this for the same reasons. Um, did you find that actually learning and researching into anxiety and into the processes of healing helped you on your own journey with anxiety? Was that a big part of it? Absolutely. Um, you know what was really interesting was the more I forced myself to, to heal, the more I looked 
looked, looked consciously, looked for all the right answers, the farther the answers actually were from, from me. Um, there was a moment there where I kind of, yeah, I, I, I kind of just trusted that the answers would come to me. And whatever felt more natural is what I started to move towards. I remember there was a couple of books, but one sticks out more than any other. And it was by someone who's not very well known, uh, Aldo Pucci. Aldo Pucci. Feel the way you want to feel no matter what. And what that book did, along with others, of course, but what that book did was it gave me an understanding of the deeper explanations to what I was emotionally feeling and why I was thinking the way I was thinking. And so that kind of started the snowball of investigating this at the root causes, because for many years, I was thinking that my anxiety was a result of what was taking place in this present situation. It was the person I was talking to. It was the environment I was in and so on. But the truth is, is that many of us are so afraid of digging deeper and doing something to resolve what took place long ago that um, they continue to think that overthinking can be a good distraction to looking deeper, and that's not good. Mm. Um, and I stopped focusing on the symptoms. I started focusing on root causes. And let me tell you something. It was very messy, mm -hmm. right? It was vulnerable. It was disastrous. Uh, I remember planning. I said this in other interviews, but planning my suicide. Um, I had it all written out. Yeah. Um, I was moments away from the bridge. Um, the one thing that kept me going was give it another day. And the reason for living was my newborn child. Yes. Um, so I believe if you have a big enough why, you can do pretty much anything you want to do. Um, and I felt like there was some kind of force that, there in that day that said, you know, this isn't the end and this isn't all that life can be. There can be more to this. You can contribute more. So there was a feeling there um, that kind of led me towards helping more people. Yes. Yeah. It's amazing. Children can really save you in situations like that. Can't yeah. they? It's, uh, my, my daughter um, is nearly three and uh, she's in the forefront of, of my mind whenever I'm um, having any thoughts about, about surrounding alcohol and my lifestyle and constantly thinking, you know, just to just be just to be a better dad. And that was a, a, mm. a, bit, a big reason for, you know, my kind of uh, my booze break, my, this, this kind of journey that I'm that I'm actually on at the moment. It's a hell of a journey. Honestly, uh, yeah. you should be tremendously proud of yourself and oh, what you're you. doing here. Um, and I'm hoping that a lot of people that are following my stuff will go in that direction because it's so important and informative. So you should be tremendously proud, my friend. Thank you. I just want to take a quick break to let you guys know about my Patreon. So if you're liking the content that you're listening to uh, on the Booze Break podcast, you can actually show your support by going over to the Booze Break website, which is boozebreakpodcast.com. Right at the top there, there's a little button that says donate. You can click on there and it goes straight to my Patreon page. This is where you can actually 
pledge a sum per month to help support the the show and me. First of all, that's really generous and, and thank you. But also you do get um, some benefits to that as well. Different tiers that you can um, go to. There's actually this legend, warrior and godlike behemoth. With the legend tier, which is just £7.50 a month, uh, you can actually get access to new episodes before they get released on their official release dates. And uh, you can cancel this at any point. Of course, you're not tied into anything necessarily. With the uh, Warrior tier, which is £15 a month, you get early access to the episodes, you get a, a coveted booze break sticker and access to the private Facebook group for people who are on a booze break and, and want to join a community and help support each other and with you know with positivity and hints and tips. And then you've got Godlike Behemoth, which is £30 a month. If you donate that, you're an absolute star and, and I can't thank you enough. With this, you get early access to episodes, you get a shout out on one of my podcasts, uh, you get the booze break sticker, you get access to the private Facebook group, and you also get an epic booze break t-shirt as well. So any support that you guys could give would mean a huge amount to me. Uh, notoriously, podcasts don't don't earn a great deal. So any bit that you can give would, would make a huge difference and it just keeps me motivated and, and able to be producing content and taking the time out to do research and, and put these episodes out. So I uh, thank you. Back to the episode. I don't know whether this is a really difficult question or not um, because I can't answer it. And, sure. But for people who have never consciously experienced heightened anxiety or consciously experienced anxiety, is there a way of putting it into words that you, that, that you can kind of help people understand, you know, what it is? Because it's, it's, um, it's serious to sure. the people who are going through it, but for a lot of people who have never experienced it or never knowingly experienced it, sure. um, it's almost like a myth. Sure. Um, you know, what's interesting, well, to describe anxiety, um, of course, there's many different types of anxieties out there. But um, I tend to see anxiety as a bit of a spider web effect where something can potentially start very small, um, a, a feeling, a fear, a little sensitivity around a person or a situation or whatever, or even a symptom of anxiety. And it starts small and we don't pay it too much attention and it just kind of sticks around. And, and what happens with anxiety is we become conscious of things. Um, quite quickly if we don't properly deal with them. And what it really feels like is this uh, immense, ongoing, seemingly never-ending, deep sensitivity uh, towards everything in life. Mm -hmm. um, anxiety is many times the combination, if not all the time, the combination of the external threats but the internal threats as well yes. um, we have the potential with anxiety to look at something as simple as a cup of water and to think that we may choke because uh, we're about to drink that glass of water yes. so therefore we don't drink it and then what happens with anxiety is um, the instincts basically run every single day okay it's it's very instinctual. They wake up in the morning, they feel something, and they're automatically on high alert. It's like the fight or flight or freeze response. And you go about your day looking for the threat in everything and never, ever being present. 
right? So you're constantly living in the future, looking to prepare yourself for future threats based on experiences from your past. Mm-hmm. And so this is basically a, a circle, a cycle that, that really eats up a tremendous amount of creativity, tremendous amount of time, and a tremendous amount of energy where people are constantly looking to prepare themselves from the next threat um, and thinking that this is in fact at an unconscious and conscious level, this is the way life should be lived because it promotes a sense of safety. Yes. Okay. Now, give somebody the option to look at life differently and do things differently, and they'll begin feeling unsafe, even if it's better for them. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's the big problem because now um, they're basically moving through life with a corrupted intellect, a mind that says, this means this and this means that and so on. It's corrupted, it's conditioned, it's programmed. And let me tell you something else as well. Um, I believe that uh, society today, uh, it's very hard not to be anxious. Let, mm-hmm. Put aside the COVID, put aside you know what's been taking place lately. Before all that, it's very hard because you're constantly looking to climb the corporate ladder and you're, you're looking to please others and you're looking to wear the mask all day long and you're looking to connect with others many times in an artificial way. How can you not be anxious? Absolutely. Right? So it takes a tremendous amount of consciousness, a tremendous amount of awareness to question what you believed is true about yourself in reality in order to heal anxiety. It's a really good explanation. And uh, like you said, there's, there's, there's so many factors that kind of go in uh, to that. And, you know, you, like you say, I, I mean, things like our phones, our social media, um, health, um, you know, all of these different things can kind of, uh, and, and even like, um, like social media, uh, especially for health anxiety. So for like, like I was or am, um, you know, as soon as I start talking about a symptom, I start getting ads for those symptoms. You know, I, I start getting my phones listening to me. It's going, by the way, I reckon you've got lung cancer or uh, maybe you should go and check this out. You know, you can send us in a right. sample. And I'm like, shit, yeah, uh, they yeah. know. They, they yeah. know. That I've got- <laughs> exactly. Whatever you search is going to follow you no matter where you go these days. So scary. Absolutely. Yeah. Continuing on with... Um, uh, you know, anxiety and an explanation. Can you give a, a, a good explanation as to what a, a panic attack is? Because again, it's something that I've experienced personally, but I really, really struggle to put it into words of what that is. So that for the listeners who ever experienced that, they'll know. They'll know. Yeah, I'll tell you, a full blown, a full blown panic attack is the closest thing to to the experience of dying that I've ever felt in my life. I mean, I. I don't know anything that would come close to thinking that you're on the edge about to jump over and life's about to end. Mm -hmm. Um, A panic attack is known to be quite an unconscious effect where you're going about your day and this system within you that um, that is looking to connect and make associations with what's going on in the outside world is making those connections 
And over a short period of time, what happens is those connections lead um, to the body mobilizing itself okay, um, to be able to prepare for something that's either happening right now or in the future. Can a panic attack be caught, caused simply through your imagination? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Many times it is because there really is not a whole lot of things in the external world that justifies the, the idea of fully protecting yourself from a potential disaster. Sure. Um, so the imagination plays a huge part, but a panic attack um, is, is a, it really, it comes with a massive opportunity to learn about the idea that it's not really you consciously that's making the decisions mm-hmm. on how to respond to life. But there's a deeper part of you that is the majority of you that's making those decisions for you in order for you to move swiftly through life. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, with panic attacks, they're very much confusing. They're very much out of the blue. Um, They can cripple a person's life in every aspect of their life. It doesn't matter career relationships, whatever it is. And what happens with panic attacks is you begin questioning your own capabilities, therefore your self-worth deteriorates. Yes. And then you begin questioning whether or not um, you can even keep a relationship together or, you know, embrace your creative side. I mean, life becomes so small um, and limited when you're experiencing panic attacks and the biggest problem, which many of your listeners probably know is that um, we do whatever it takes to end the possibility of an attack, even move towards alcohol or other ways um, just to create some kind of temporary relief from what we're feeling. Absolutely. And, and, uh, you know, the, this, this idea of, and not just with panic attacks, but just self-medicating, it's a, almost like a vicious cycle of, you know, if you have anxiety and you, you know, m- most people, I would, most people are, have drank, do drink infrequently, frequently, whatever. Most of the population, uh, you know, w- will drink, uh, not, not necessarily in, in, you know, concerning amounts. But we all know the, that what alcohol does to us. So if you're mm. suffering from anxiety, it's so tempting. And I, I did mm. it. I, I, was a, I was a big drinker even you know, when I was um, uh, suffering with anxiety. And one of the, one of the things that um, I used to struggle with was sleep. I couldn't get to sleep because these horrible, horrible thoughts were in my head and they would run through. And of course, um, everything when you're tired and when you're in bed and you've got no other stimulus and you can just close your eyes and everything gets a million times worse and and it's almost right. it's almost ridiculous when you look back ridiculous it's totally opposite yeah right? um, i but, mean I'm, my eyes are closed <laughs> yeah it's just like i say it's your imagination your imagination goes wild and and but there's no one there to talk you out of it but then it, but so then you're like well i need i need to get drunk to sleep to go to sleep to stay asleep um yeah. but of course alcohol wrecks your sleep you don't have a full sleep on, um, with alcohol it's just a sedative it's not a, a relaxant um so it's tempting it's so tempting and you know very tempting yeah. it, it's it's yeah. tough it's one of the first things when you um when i was suffering uh, with anxiety it was one of the first things that my 
uh, lovely friend, Sarah, um, told me to stop was drinking alcohol. So it's going to make things 10 times worse um, because it's going to heighten your anxiety. And, and, uh, and I was also suffering with depression. I think the two quite often go hand in hand. Um, totally. And uh, so, yeah, the, both, of those, both of those things, um, totally. you know, uh, it, we're just like, you know, counterproductive, essentially. It's good advice. It's good advice. Going, um, going on um, uh, the topic, the topic of um, alcohol, um, what's your relationship with alcohol? Did, did you have one previously? Do you have one now? Can you talk us through that? Um, if you don't mind. Yeah, my relationship with alcohol. Um, well, you know, I went through my late teens and early 20s experimenting. Uh, you know, wow, this is cool. You know, uh, this makes me feel free and it makes me feel like uh i can be my genuine self and (laughs) and rather than be my uh, artificial self sure so that carried on for pretty much a decade and then um stopping but then restarting drinking but mainly on the weekends and i i really looked forward to the weekend um because um it gave me a sense of um, being in touch with reality again and life again. Um, alcohol for me um, was good, but also very bad in the sense that it was good in the moment, but the next morning and the following days were very, very anxious days and very mm-hmm. panicky days, very sensitized days. Um, so there was a trade-off. You either drink and, and you feel good temporarily and, and you feel like you don't, you're not caught up in your symptoms, you're not experiencing them, your your thoughts are clear, you can be present, you can be engaged with people. Great. This was the cure I've been looking for. Mm-hmm. But then with every uh, thing that we believe is a cure uh, these days, many times there are also a lot of side effects. So the side effects for me was... You know, it took about five, maybe six, seven days sometimes to get over yeah. um, that. The other really interesting thing about alcohol was um, over time when my body got began getting used to the, the amount of alcohol I was drinking that was causing me to feel relaxed. Mm-hmm. Um, I started to create these uh, associations in my head. And um, the first thing that happened was when I looked at just a glass of wine or I I looked at a a beer or whatever it is. Um, and I took a sip, just one sip or maybe two sips or whatever. It was almost like that would trigger and activate, um, some kind of panicky response for the next day right away. Okay. So it was kind of like, okay, well, if you're going to drink, no matter how much you drink, the next couple of days are going to be a pain in the butt. Mm-hmm. For sure. We're going to make it harder for you. Um, that was kind of the feeling that my body gave me. Um, you know, alcohol postpones anxiety temporarily and then it multiplies it. And it's such a it's such a bad trade of time, isn't it? Because like you said, if you're suffering for five days, uh, four days, three days. Yeah, on average. Um, but yeah. you're, you're trading, let's say, five hours, six hours of... Um, uh, you know, relax, you know, relaxation in inverted commas, because, um, and it's, it's, like I say, it's more of a sedative. 
numbing the mind, um, you know, uh, the perception of enjoyment for those six hours, but you pay for it for five days. It's such a bad trade. Yeah, absolutely. You know? The problem that it, it also after that is you, you kind of, you feel like you've lost uh, inner power to be able to deal with the thing that you need to deal with. Mm -hmm. It no longer is in your hands. It's in the hands of everything that's on the outside. So now you're looking for the exact person, the exact technique, the exact uh, amount of alcohol, the exact amount of benzodiazepines, everything on the outside, which eventually lowers your self-worth and your, your self-concept. And next thing you know, you're so jumbled up that you don't know where to turn anymore um, mm -hmm. to heal anxiety. Um, so it's, it truly is a, a really devastating, uh, for me, it was some devastating days, months, years, continuous cycle. And, um, and I really, I, I feel for people that are going through that right now, but the message would be um, to really understand that beyond the alcohol or beyond the things that you're relying on the outside lie a tremendous amount of um, healing potential within you if you could only take the time um, to look deeper into what you're doing in terms of thinking, imagining, actions that's causing you to be anxious in the first place. You know, the alcohol is there to run away or to avoid something. Um, so if there's no reason to avoid or run away from everything, you can go ahead and enjoy your glass of wine in the present moment rather than use it for some kind of a, an end result that you're looking for. Yes. So, yeah. And time, time's the key with that as well, isn't it? Because the, um, the short-term fix is drinking. You know, if, if you, again, again, fix in inverted commas, because it doesn't fix anything. Um, but you, you know, if you're struggling with anxiety, um, even if it's just mild social anxiety, you know, going to a bar, meeting with clients, things like that, you know, not necessarily just sitting at home drinking. Um, you know, it's, it's that, that short term fix with those long term, uh, like anxiety, that hangover anxiety consequences. Um, Let me fill you in on this. What was really interesting um, towards the awakening, you want to call it, or the deeper insights I was having after those chapters in my life was I started to go to the bar um, and order tea and order water instead. Tremendous amount of vulnerability, tremendous mm -hmm. amount of sensitivity. The beer was the uh, means to an end that would get me to connect with people in what I felt was a more natural way. And now all of a sudden, I'm the one that's being left out and everybody else is drinking. And now I have to test myself and prove to myself that this vulnerable place that I'm in can in fact be accepted by other people. And I can reconnect with people even in this um, sensitized state that I'm in. So what started to happen was really interesting. I tested myself in these different ways, go to the bar, drink the water, have the tea, whatever. Um, don't look to avoid the judgments of others, but go ahead and just simply accept them for what they are. Sure. Judgments. 
And what started to happen was I began feeling more and more immune to what people thought about me. And when that started to happen, the right people came into my life at the right time, the right information, just things started to just flow. So you could see how I wasn't looking to kind of um, get to a place where full acceptance by others, status quo stuff, um, and then constant distraction. I wasn't living in that world anymore, but I was living in a more uh, vulnerable place. And that was very testing. A lot of people, when they're in that testing place, revert right back to, to what they've done before. But stay in that vulnerable place for a longer period of time. Test yourself. And what you're going to find is some insights that you would never have gained if you hadn't had tested yourself. And those insights are the very things that will lead to your healing. It's not the doing. It's not the techniques. It's not any of those things. It's the epiphanies that you get. When you've challenged yourself and you've come out of that challenge, you get that, that light bulb moment. And in that moment, you're going, wow, damn, you know, those beliefs that have been running my entire life, they've been completely false. In fact, they weren't even mine. They were moms or dads or my friends. And for once in my life, I get to create my own beliefs about myself in the world mm -hmm. for once. And there you go. Bingo. You're on the healing journey. I think. Um identity becomes a huge part of this process of, um, you know, alcohol use. And, um, I've touched on it in a, on a, on a previous episode. And I just, I caught something that you said there that, um, you know, you can embrace these changes in, in who you are and how you identify in your social situations and stuff. And somehow you'll kind of, I can't think of a better way of describing it than give it, give off an energy that other like-minded people are going to be drawn to. And they're the people that all of a sudden, you, you, you know, I think a lot of people are concerned that once they stop drinking, if they say, right, I'm going to stop drinking for X amount of time or forever, all of my social circle now aren't going to accept me and, um, and I'm going to be boring. I'm not going to have any friends and, and stuff. And first of all, that's probably, that potentially might not be the case. Um, if there are people that aren't accept, you know, won't accept you for not drinking, which, which is ridiculous. Um, you know, you don't necessarily need them in your life at that time. But what you will find is you'll start to gravitate and people will gravitate towards you who are on a similar journey. Maybe it's not, you know, maybe it's not because you're alcohol free, but because all of a sudden you've embraced your own identity or this new identity and realized that actually I am an introvert and I, I'm not good in huge groups and that's totally okay. And that's and, okay. Yeah. Exactly. Um, which, which is what I found. I thought I was an extrovert. And I, uh, I did a bit of a test and I was, I was a classic introvert <laughs> that, could, that, can, that could just switch it on. And it wasn't necessarily about alcohol, but it was a big part of it. But that, that fear of that desperate desire to be accepted, I just don't give a shit anymore. You know, right. if, and like, if I was, I, I, there's, a, there's a certain amount of people that I really care about their opinion. Uh, but, you know, for everybody else, what a, um, what take a free it away. place. Yeah. Mm. It's great. It's great. It's nice. It's obviously, it's nice to be liked. I like it. <laughs> I don't want anyone to hate me. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, you know, I'm, I'm less worried about other people's opinions. I don't, so they don't base my happiness based on that. Right. Yeah. I, I just want to add this because it just kind of comes to my mind really quickly because I'm thinking about the, your listeners, your followers. 
you know, what tends to happen, and as I look back on the drinking portion of my whole journey, was that we're constantly fixated on what we're going to be gaining from the drinking. Mm-hmm. You know, but we're never really associating enough pain to the act, enough for us to see beyond it yes. so that we can take power back. Um, one of the things we have to really be aware of is this idea of pain and pleasure. If I attach enough pleasure to continuing the drinking habit, then I'm going to continue doing it. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I may want to stop doing it, but I've still associated a tremendous amount of pleasure to it, which is going to eventually draw me back in. But if I can connect enough pain to it, and one of the things that I do with people to overcome this, and it's very, very powerful, and people can use this, is using your imagination to become disgusted by the drink itself. So I would use their all their senses with their imagination and go, okay, what do you see? I mean, if that drink was absolutely disgusting, what do you see? Well, I see bubbles, moldy bubbles coming out of the drink that I just ordered at the pub I go to every single day. Okay. Um, what do you hear from those bubbles? I hear I hear that it bubbling up and it's kind of got a name to it saying, you know, um, whatever it is. But what does it smell like? Okay, well, it smells, it smells absolutely disgusting. It smells gross. Would you ever put this in your, you know, in your mouth? No, no, I would never put. So we can utilize the imagination in this way in order for us to create more pain, not just logically and rationally pain, but imaginatively emotionally mm-hmm. creating pain to the point where I ask people, well, are you going to go back to that pub? I have no reason to go back to that pub. You know, no. Are you going to have that drink? I have no reason to have that drink. It just, it's, I've already somehow in my mind created an association that says, Ooh, you know, this is doing a lot more harm to me than I believe is doing good. That's Absolutely. the turning point really is. And I think if you do that often enough that, you know, that could be, conditioned into your some conscious subconscious uh, in in some respect can't it and, and that's something that i've kind of um gone through you know I, and I, i'm seeing this a lot a lot of the stuff that i dealt with with anxiety i can put straight onto my issues with alcohol um and the techniques that i've used previously to kind of get through um a really difficult part of my life uh, with uh, regards to anxiety I'm thinking I'm, I'm using similar techniques. I'm using similar mindsets. And so there's a lot of connection there. And, and, and also yeah. just, um, you know, this, this, um, you know, this using this imagination, re- actually properly researching. And there's some amazing books, which I do link to on my website and in, in show notes sure. of um, the actual effects of alcohol, the real effects. Mm. And, and it, it, there's a lot of questions that you can kind of ask yourself you know, and it's the simple things of, you know, if you get, if you gave yourself a, a pros and cons for alcohol, there wouldn't be a lot of pros and there'd be a shitload of cons. Um, and, and, and even the pros, a lot of the time aren't real. I think people think that they think because it's ingrained in society and it's ingrained in their um, movements and, um, sure. you know, things like that, that um, alcohol gives you pleasure. And sure. I, I don't remember the last time that I drank and I thought, oh, this is so pleasurable. I'm, I'm having a great time. What it did give me is relief. But a lot of the time that was relief from the fact that I, I, I hadn't drank for, for, the, for the whole day. 
Right. And I was suffering, you know, I was, there was a, a, a low level of, of, of suffering, essentially. Um, and, and the alcohol, it's a bit like hair of the dog, you know, where you have that drink the next day that's early yeah. because you've got a hangover. It's like a mild version of that, but you're having it in the evening because you've, especially when you get to the point, it's, it's different for people who only drink on occasion. But for, for people sure. like myself, who was drinking every day, medium to heavy amounts of alcohol. Sure. You're in a constant state of mild withdrawal. Um, sure. And once you kind of look into the, the, the negative effects of alcohol, uh, it makes it a lot easier for your imagination to think of that. Exactly. Of Pain and pleasure. Yeah. You got it. You got it. I mean, it's not until we have an emotional shift. A lot of people are looking for the mental shift. Mm-hmm. If I think about it differently, then um, you know, I'll probably be able to give it up. Most of the time, it doesn't work. There's, you got to create emotion in, inside someone. You know, because that is the language of the subconscious. The subconscious doesn't shift its pairings between things, associations, until it feels an emotional shift towards it, right? I mean, if if I look at alcohol now, my body basically rejects it completely at this point. It just Mm -hmm. doesn't want to have anything to do with it. Um, So those associations are pretty ingrained there because I've been doing the tools and I've been reminding myself and I've attached enough pain to it and I've done it over time to the point where the system goes, okay, well, you know, we don't need this in our lives. No. And I think that, I think that's a, a, one of the benefits of, of having a, a break from alcohol. And this isn't just a month. This is like a, you know, a, an extended um, period of time, you know, not just a month. I don't think you really you can see some benefits from not drinking for a month because I've seen them. Um, but I think to really, really change your mindset and come back with a completely fresh, new body mindset, um, habit cycle, everything. And, and then, and then make a conscious decision to sort of think about alcohol and think, okay, I'm, I'm now going to question, am, am I ready to pick up a, an alcoholic drink again? And mm. I think, what am I going to gain from it? You know, Ooh, what, 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 what do moment. I get? Um, so I, that's what I want to get to is that stage. And, and this is the experiment. This is the journey that I'm taking um, the booze break kind of listeners on. But first, I want to give a quick shout out to the good folks over at One Year No Beer. One Year No Beer have been instrumental during my booze break journey. I signed up to the 90 day challenge on there and the help that both Ruri, Andy, as well as the One Year No Beer Facebook group have given throughout this time has been so valuable. By signing up, I was given access to a ton of helpful resources as well as their amazing Facebook community with over 20,000 members. I get an email first thing every morning with a video highlighting a helpful tip or useful strategies to use throughout the day. Watching these has been such a positive way to start my morning routine and I can't thank them enough. I love One Year No Beer so much that I reached out to them recently and they kindly agreed to help support me in the podcast, which I'm so grateful for. So if you're interested in following in my footsteps and taking on either a 28-day, 90-day or 365-day challenge, you can head over to my website and on the homepage there'll be a One Year No Beer banner that you can click on and sign up for your challenge. I can highly recommend the guys at One Year No Beer and by signing up through my website you'll be helping to support the show, which would really mean a lot to me. But for now, back to the episode. I came across an amazing article on your um, blog, which is from years ago. So um, I'll, I'll completely forgive you if you don't remember half of the stuff that, that was on there. But it mm-hmm. talks about the anxiety and the hangover cycle. And I really gelled, you know, with that. Um, sure. Can you talk us through, you know, that that process um, of, of, you know, what, what happens when you, you know, drink, let's say drink excessively and, and or, you know, on a regular basis and stuff? What's going on sure. in your mind and in your body? Um, yeah, it's a, it's a really... 
Uh, interesting process. Um, you know, people feel anxious and drink alcohol to relax, mm -hmm. right? In the anxiety world. It's like, it gives me the opportunity to relax. Um, the, 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 the response is a sense of calmness to the system. Um, our senses seem to be working in order in that moment. Um, this is a perspective from someone suffering from anxiety because the biggest um, symptom that comes with anxiety is dizziness and depersonalization. You'll pretty much hear it in the majority of people out there, um, which gets them to a place where they're not really fully presently experiencing their sensation, uh, their senses. They'll see things, but they won't really recognize what they're seeing. They'll mm -hmm. hear things, but they can't really make it out. They'll feel things. They don't even know if they're touching them. Forget about taste and smell. It pretty much doesn't exist in a severe anxiety disorder sufferer's life. Um, they never smell what they're drinking or eating or taste their food. They're in too much of a rush. So alcohol gives us that relaxed feeling, that effect that says, ooh, we are calm in this moment. There is no threat, and therefore we can engage with our senses better. Um, but after the initial stages of relaxation, what the body does is it metabolizes alcohol and eliminates it. Um, and then in the phases after that, what happens is the original um, effect that the alcohol was giving us, very similar, in fact, to taking benzodiazepines for many people, starts to wear down. So when this starts to wear down, we start to take more, we start to drink more in the hopes of getting back to that original place. So now we're caught in a habit that is literally poisoning us. Poisoning us. Um, and we are hoping and trusting that if we continue to consume more amounts of alcohol or anything else for that matter, um, we'll get back to that original freeing place that we were in originally. Yes. Um, the, the problem with that whole cycle is that um, people begin to have, and like I mentioned earlier, kind of an over-reliance on everything outside and they never really understand how the body can in fact heal itself, its organ systems and so on, everything internally, that it can actually heal itself. It never gets to the point mentally where they understand that they can heal themselves or be able to activate those healing mechanisms within them mm -hmm. because at that point, they're just so caught up in looking to feel better now. Yes. Um, and the idea of constantly looking to feel better now seems to never work out the way we want it to. Because in order to heal anxiety or heal your emotional distress and such, there's got to be some kind of a long-term um, focus to it. Uh, when that long-term focus is there, then the pressure of having to feel better now 
is no longer there. Therefore, we can begin to interpret um, the idea of drinking alcohol or whatever it may be differently. Mm -hmm. Because I don't need that good feeling now. It can happen in a month from now, a week from now, whatever it is. Um, and you start to draw power back to you. So the the hangover effect to this is 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 very much um, mentally and emotionally connected, because like I mentioned before, I would have a similar hangover to drinking just a few sips of alcohol compared to me kind of having you know, five or six beverages. Yes, and that made me very confused. What's going on here? Um, so it's it's more so has to do with the connections we make between things. If I do this, it'll lead to that. If I do this much of it, it'll lead to that much of so on. Um, so moving forward to someone who's currently in this place, it's their ability to um, obviously to slow down the amounts that they're drinking to tap back into their creative sides again. Because um, when you feel fulfilled in your own life and you feel like it's coming from the inside out, then there really is nothing you attach yourself to on the outside that can get even close to the amount of joy and pleasure that you experience from the inside. So, you know, tapping back into our creative sides is very, very important. Um, but as far going back to the um, the the cycle of panic and the hangover, it's it, it really is something that unless you've truly experienced it, mm -hmm. uh, you won't fully understand it. You can't understand it. Um, it, it really is uh, self sabotage at the highest order. Um, and like you say, it's, it's a, it is a cycle, you know, the, the word is, is um, really poignant because it's self-perpetuating, you know, you, you, you uh, let's say, for instance, you, you drink to uh, relieve depression, anxiety, that's a, but you might even experience some, some lapse, you know, in that, when, you know, um, when you're, um, you know, in the moment and then the next, the following day, your anxiety and depression has got worse. Oh crap, I need to drink. And that kind of constant flow. And even like you say, the, 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 the effects are quite long-term. So you can, even if you're not a daily drinker, if you drink once or twice a week or something like that, you can still be feeling these effects four, five days later. Mm -hmm. you, uh, you know, you haven't touched a drop of alcohol for four, four or five days and there's got to be, there's got to be other factors. Sleep is a huge factor, um, you know, uh, with, with, you know, alcohol yeah. use, um, ev even on a really small level. And there's a, there's a lot of, um, data on this that, you know, just one beer, one glass of wine, these are kind of people, people who, um, you know, on the, on the, on the, on the outside, you think that these guys haven't got an issue that they're, they're still running at hundred percent peak performance. Mm -hmm. You're not, you're not because the, the, the knock on effects of sleep and all of these different things are, um, are, you know, are, are still experienced from just that, that one glass. Um, and sleep 
for me was the biggest part of anxiety recovery, because if I didn't get enough sleep, my anxiety mm -hmm. was sky high the next day, you know? That's another, that's another big part of it all. Yes. Um, you'll, you'll pretty much do whatever it takes to get that sleep. And, and you can't blame people for doing some of that stuff. Absolutely um, not. I did. Absolutely debilitating. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, 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 it's like, it, it's, uh, this is why anxiety is such a difficult subject because it's so difficult and long-term to, to come out of. But one of, one of the things that I found was the long-term doesn't need to be necessarily be a, a bad thing. But I think if you're an anxiety sufferer, of course, you, you want to get out of it as quickly as physically possible. Um, and what I found was there wasn't a quick fix. It was long-term, but I did see progression straight away. And that was the thing that I, that I really noticed was that, yes, that, you know, I, I put in some practices, I put in some mindful thinking, I um, changed my habits, changed my uh, perception, tried to use um, some of the techniques that, that, that I learned from yourself and from other sources and notice a difference straight away. It's not gone, but it's progress. And that was good mm -hmm. enough for me. Um, and I think that's a, a big thing that um, there's, there's the issue with alcohol is it is a quick fix, but that's not how you get rid of anxiety as far as I'm concerned. Not that I've, well, not from my experience anyway. Well said, exactly. Um, I know that you hate, and I know that there isn't a, a tip for, you know, relieving and, or, or substituting uh, alcohol as a, a, um, a medication, a self-medication, a, a technique for relieving anxiety. But are there strategies, are, are there th thoughts or um, steps that people can take to begin to, to cease the use of alcohol as a self-medicating anxiety relief? Right. Um we mentioned earlier one of the things that people have to start doing is bringing to their conscious attention the things they need to in order to start the healing process. Um, first things first is before you do anything, any kind of change, uh, behavioral change, you want to make sure that you set yourself up for success. And the way you do that, because this is twofold, it's the skill sets and the mindsets. You have to have the mindsets in order for the skill sets to work and for you to be doing them long term so you would make a list like we mentioned of pain and pleasure to bring to your attention what this habit is really doing to you um and then to set yourself up you want to make sure that you understand that you 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 have two choices um one you can either continue with the habit that you currently have um, and be 90, 80, a hundred years of age, look back and have a tremendous amount of regret to the amount of time you spent, the effort you put in and, and so on to, to hide what you know, need to look directly at. Um, or you have the option of going through the temporary discomfort that you need to in order for you to see through the very thing you thought you needed originally. Okay. So setting yourself up comes first. We need to do a little bit of peeling the onion work. Okay. 
And the, another big question would be, well, deep down, which emotion am I in fact suppressing or which label am I suppressing, which is causing me to engage in this um, habit of drinking? Well, a lot of people will say, when I was young, I was told I was you know, very internal. I was very antisocial. Okay, well, the root cause of why you're drinking may be so that you can temporarily get away and to convince people that you're not antisocial because that's what you tried to do when you were younger for years and it didn't work. Okay, in the end, you know, you were still labeled that by other people. Therefore, it became your own label, your identity. Mm-hmm. So um, we drink for specific purposes, for reasons that may be in our awareness or outside of our awareness. And we need to find the reason for why we do it first and foremost. Um, because the vast majority of the time, people aren't looking to move towards something. They're looking to move away from something else. That makes sense. Okay. So when we realize this, we can begin. And in many people, many times people will say, well, even if I do find the root causes of why I drink and, um, and I engage in it and I fix it, and I'll probably still want to drink. The truth is, is that you won't. Um, you won't because life will have meaning. Life will have purpose. Okay. We overdrink because we're also lacking a sense of purpose in our lives. Sure. Many people um, don't really have a specific thing to live for and get excited for when they wake up in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's a it's all a cover-up in the end it's all a band-aid so you have to figure out what you're looking to bandage up Mm -hmm. Uh, so the mindset starts first pain and pleasure make the list find your why the biggest reason for why you need to do this um find out what you're running away from okay not you're not moving towards anything you're running away from something sure engage like i mentioned don't wait for the right time. Don't wait for the right person. Don't wait for the right book. Don't wait for the right X. Engage in some kind of creative act that you've put on the shelf because you've talked yourself out of uh, it being the right time for you to engage with it. People are very artistic. Okay. Um, there's a lot of poets out there. There's a lot of art artists out there. There's a lot of creative people out there. There's a lot of people out there with fantastic ideas to better uh, humanity. You need to engage in creative acts in order for you to feel like you've got a purpose in your life. Therefore, you can stop looking for quick fixes and move into a place where you're no longer an emotional yo-yo. Sure. Because drinking, for me at least, uh, fed me with the feeling that I thought I had to live with. I needed because people told me, "Oh, you're not you're not fun. You need to be more excited. You need to smile more." Okay, well, drinking can give you that, so why not? Um, so this emotional yo-yo means I'm either excitable or I'm down in the dumps 
right? Yes. It's one or the other. But people don't realize that this middle ground, hovering in this middle ground, just a little bit here and a little bit there, mm -hmm. is our natural, pleasant, and neutral place to be. Neutral is a great place to be, for sure. Neutral is a great place to be. People don't realize there is a neutral out there. Um, because the moment they're alone by themselves, or the moment they're, you know, the, the room is dark, or the moment they're somewhere uncomfortable, there's an association there. There's a threat there. There's a label there. So those creative acts are going to be very, very important on this journey. Um, finding, not looking for, but running into your purpose through certain self-care measures is important. And like I mentioned in my latest book, reframing is very, very important. Um, you can't move forward in your life until you've made peace with your past. That means people, experiences, situations. So um, emotional reframing, keyword emotional, reframing <laughs> certain aspects of your past is going to be essential towards you seeing uh, deeper and through the drinking habit. It's a great time to actually mention um, your book. So well done, uh, per perfectly timed, because I'm excited to hear more about it. Um, I, um, I read up a little um, on it beforehand, but um, I, I'm excited to, to inform the listeners. Um, and it's got an amazing title. It's my kind of title, Fuck, Coping, Start Living. That's, uh, uh, anyone that knows Very me good. knows I've got a foul mouth and it's really hard to switch it off. So it's nice to be able to actually have an excuse to swear <laughs> on my own podcast which I do yeah. anyway. Yeah. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the book? Uh, how, did it yeah. come about, come, how did it come about? Who's it for? Anything. Um, yeah, the, I, the, I had a first book actually. In the first book, it was very personal. It was kind of like, here's who I am. Here's mm -hmm. what I went through. Um, here's who you can choose to gain some insight from. Um, the second book is really a compilation of the last 10 years. Um, it... it it takes uh, very important and uh, teachings from the trauma world. Um, it takes some things from the CBT world. Mm -hmm. It takes some things from the um, hypnosis world and NLP. Mm -hmm. So it really is a compilation of these different methodologies that have been proven to work for uh, for people suffering from anxiety disorders. But a lot of the book as well is very much kind of left field where okay. um, it's stuff that you really haven't noticed or heard of before. And it does come from a very intuitive place of mind. And um, it is very real. People will be able to relate to a lot of the things I'm saying in that book. And also... Um, it will create the kind of insight and epiphanies that they need in order to question who they've become. Um, it's very much based on identity work. It's very much based on core belief work and purpose work, which are the three um, parts that a person needs to focus on in order to bring about healing. It doesn't focus so much on um, situational environmental it doesn't focus so much on symptoms so 
it goes as deep as, as I possibly can go and gives you practical ways um, to begin the healing process. But at the same time, it gives you the understanding, the understanding of how you got here, truly how you got here, mm -hmm. the understanding of what it's going to take to get to that place you want to get to. Um, and I think it's going to do a lot of good for people. It really is. It sounds amazing. It sounds so relevant to the stuff that I research and I talk about specifically about how our relationship with alcohol, um, you know, identity is something I geek out about so much. And it's in, I go into a, a little bit of detail on it on um, episode three of the Booze Break podcast. And by far, that was the most difficult um, episode to do just from the fact that I could have spent so long going on and researching. And it's the one I've spent the most amount of time on um, because it's something that I think we can all relate to and we can all, um, you know, work towards. And actually, when you really start to look at your identity, especially, it can change everything, you know, and it, and it is a malleable force, you know, um, and I, you go through life for the most part, not even thinking about it. It's just like, well, you know, someone asks you, who are you? You, you sort of, you can name, you can name a few things, you know, photographer, father, husband, drinker, um, and, and, and all these kinds of things. And, and you can kind of go, actually, I'm just going to take that little bit that's, that's drinker. I'm just going to throw that aside for, for at least for a little bit. Mm. And I'm going to put in something else. Mm -hmm. Outdoorsman, nudist, whoever, whatever you want to do. Um, and, and, uh, and it, it could be so powerful because then you can start to live. Uh, and, and so I'm, I'm really excited. I, th I think my listeners will get a lot from, um, uh, from, from your book, Foot Coping, Start Healing. It's on Amazon. Am I right in saying that? Yes. Um, the audio book will come out at the end of July uh, for anyone interested, but the physical book and the digital is on Amazon. I'm excited for the audio book, uh, yeah. for sure. I think I, you know, it's, it's almost like it's the next question always when someone's got a book, isn't it? It's like, what's right. the audio book? Is it yourself narrating it as well? No, uh, I have somebody else, another professional doing it. Um, yeah, I think it would, it, it's a long book. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got some audio books there on YouTube that are a little bit shorter, but, um, yeah, I chose, I don't know. I just kind of went with my gut and said, this guy's really good. So um he's gonna do a great job i think you've um you've got a very relaxing voice and that would be a concern for me if i really <laughs> want to take in um put you to sleep. yeah well I, I, there's always this thing of not necessarily put me to sleep but certainly make take me into a place that's not in a place of study and it's okay. a place of um subconscious you know yeah. kind of ingestion of um of information um but this is the thing i quite like about books and this is the thing that I've, that I've come across from stopping drinking um is i read again and i can read quite well um and uh, that's that's brand new for me i've read books in the past you know the classic holiday reader um i still haven't finished the harry potter series or you know anything like that um but i'm really geeking out about self-help especially if it's around alcohol but what i love about books more so is if I can go back super quick, I can go back. That last paragraph again was fantastic. Let me read that. Let me make a note on that. Sure. that you know, all of these kinds of things. And I, and I love audiobooks because I can do them while I'm editing. 
uh, you know, at work. And, and, but that's, I kind of save that for fictional these days because I don't need to study a fictional book. But when it comes that's to self podcasts are great for you. Yes. You, you get involved in a good podcast. You can, pretty, you can listen to it offline, I believe, too. So you can connect mm. with these podcasts. It's awesome. Fantastic. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm, a bit, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a podcast geek um, for, <laughs> for, for sure. So yeah, I'm, really, I'm really excited about the book. It's, it's on my list. Um, I, although I'm, I am enjoying reading, I'm still slow um, compared to most people. I think my mum can read a book in a day. Wow. Blows my mind. Wow. Um, I want to know what she, what her secrets are. I'm, I'm not sure she's taking in any of that information, though. I think she's just looking at the words. She's just skimming it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah. Um, you know, it takes me a lot longer. Um, and I'm quite glad that yeah. a lot of the books that are around, um, especially things like self-help, health, things like that, they're quite palatable sizes as well. Um, you know, they're readable. It's not a novel, you know, because sometimes you get a book that's like, you know, yeah. 10 inches thick you think shit i'm never going to get through that and just puts you off straight away uh, for a right. lot of for a lot of books right, um right. but i'd like to get to that point i'd like to get to the yeah. point where i can you know yeah. beast, beast a novel in a week or something like that yeah. so, <laughs> yeah. where can where can people find you um, um uh, uh in the world social sure. um yeah the anxietyguy.com is my main website um you can actually listen to the, all the recent podcasts there um, Apple Podcasts, look up the Anxiety Guy. You can go on YouTube, same thing. Um, and uh, it's all kind of a mixed bag of knowledge there. And um, once, actually, as well, if there's anybody out there that's specifically uh, health anxiety concerned, there's also a health anxiety podcast that you can find that I'm doing um, monthly on Apple as well. So, um, two podcasts there. What's the, what's the health anxiety podcast called? Cause that's, that's brand new information to me. <laughs> a lot of people don't know it. Health no. anxiety podcast show. It's just monthly and it's, it's very specific to, to health anxiety sufferers. Um, again, we focus on root causes a lot and we, we dive into issues that, uh, not only are talked about, but they're all actually solved through the podcast. Um, so yeah, I mean, there, those are a couple ways to get a get a hold of me. If you have any questions, um, I, I pretty much answer the the vast majority of questions I get on Instagram. Okay. Like um, if they comment there, I do a lot of lives there. Um, so whatever platform you're on, just look up the Anxiety Guy or go to www.theanxietyguy.com and you'll you'll connect with me. That's amazing because you've got a lot of followers and, and a lot of likes and a lot of, yeah. uh, you know, a lot of great content out there that is commentable and likable and shareable. Um, and, you know, you know, even now um, and, and back when I first got in contact with yourself, you know, within, within a day, I had a message back and I wasn't expecting it at all, you know, and it's so, yeah. it's yeah. so lovely. Um, I'm sure, yeah. I'm sure at some stage it just becomes impossible. Uh, but it's, yeah. it's, it's really nice that you can do it currently. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I highly recommend any of my listeners, uh, whether you're t going on a booze break uh, or not, um, you know, definitely go and check out uh, the Anxiety Guy. It's it's so valuable. A lot of the information is is transferable, as far as I'm concerned, because I've used it um, during both my anxiety and my my booze break, and um, it's really amazing content and it also 
there's, there's, it's, it's so holistic because you, you, you know, the, the, I've found some great information on just nutrition and stuff that I didn't know. And, you know, certain types of food that can heighten anxiety and uh, it all, you know, once you start to implement these things into your life, it all starts to make a difference. And they're so, so easy to do, you know, um, there's not, you know, changing food isn't like doing homework, you know, um, it's, it's, you know, it's, it, it, it's all yeah, absolutely. It's all, it's all stuff that you can, that you can kind of implement into your life relatively simply. And it's fun. Right. It was fun for me anyway. Right. Um, Dennis, it's been an, a, an amazing experience having you on the show. I've been right. fanboying the whole way through. Oh, um, no need. <laughs> if, if you could give one yeah. piece of advice to somebody who's either currently on a booze break or about to embark on a booze break, whether that be related to anxiety or, um, or not, have you, have you got any, any piece of advice, any, anything from your, you know, your own experiences that you can share with us? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, in order to fully understand this important piece of advice, I think what's important to understand is um, when we look at boozing, uh, drinking, it does provide us with feelings and a sense of identity, a sense of connection, uh, a sense of love from others and love towards ourselves. All these things that are all grouped together in, in the act of drinking. The, the, the most important piece of advice I would give is to implement this law related to the law of substitution, where you would substitute one habit for another habit that gives you the exact same things the old unproductive habit was giving you. Okay. Okay. So now what happens is the more you engage in this habit, that provides you with the same feelings, a sense of everything else, you're going to want to go back to the old habit less and less over time. That makes sense. So the law of substitution is one of the things that I've implemented in my own life, and I've found a very rapid transition. In fact, um, take a smoker, for example, smoker. What, what does it do for you? Ask that person, what does it do for you? Well, it makes me feel cool. It makes me feel relaxed and so on. Okay, well, is there anything else that you can engage in that still makes you feel cool and still makes you feel relaxed? Watch what happens when that person spends a couple of weeks doing the new act or the new behavior. Watch what happens, how they start to interpret the old smoking or drinking habit. They won't want to go back to it. So this takes a little bit of digging to see the connection in terms of what it gives you and then connect that to a new activity altogether and then allow the process to be very natural, mm -hmm. not forced. Oh, I don't feel the way I want to feel yet. That's okay. Because you're not supposed to judge your healing from day to day and moment to moment. This is a journey. This is an awakening. You're going places you never thought you'd go. You're going to meet people you never thought you'd meet. So the law of substitution is something that I would highly, highly look into, recommend. If you go on YouTube and just put up law of substitution, I believe, or universal laws, the anxiety guy, I go into much more detail into these, into these laws. But that's, that's what I would advise. That's amazing advice. And, and it, it gels quite nicely with um, uh, 
something you mentioned earlier about being creative and from a photographer, from a photographer's point of view, um, one of the things that's very therapeutic for me, but also, um, is a great substitute for drinking is going out in an, uh, of an evening and, um, swapping the time drinking. And I don't do this every single day, but I did do it for a period of time and taking your camera and set yourself a challenge of taking 10 images, um, take your phone, do whatever photograph 10 images. Um, it, you know, if you can go for a walk locally, set yourself a challenge of it being within a mile radius and you can go, okay, I'm going to photograph the color red today. And tomorrow I'm going to try and photograph the color blue. I'm going to get 10 images. And not only are you doing something creative, it's filling your time. It's substituting, um, your beat, you know, your, um, getting, you know, positive feelings from actually creating something. You're skipping the part where you would normally get cravings because that's, you know, if you're, if you're filling your time, um, you know, uh, w- with that rather than just doing the same thing, but also, um, creative processes still, I, in my, I, I, I'm not, I can only speak from experience, but they, they still produce dopamine and dopamine is the thing that a lot of people get with that, especially with that first drink, the yeah. first drink that a lot of people experience, this kind of dopamine rush, this kind of thing that comes down and washes over them. I get exactly the same experience. And when I get back and see my images and go, yeah, there's 10, they're amazing. Pop onto Instagram. Yeah. Um, exactly. So exactly. If, uh, yep. If anyone wants to do that and they can, um, they can tag the booze break in their, their 10 images and uh, I'd happily share that, that information. Dennis, cool. it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so Thank much you for, 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 for being here. Um, it's all, all of your information I'll, I will leave, leave in the show notes for the listeners. So please go and check out uh, Dennis and the Anxiety Guy. And thank you so much. Thank you, my friend. Take care. Have a good one. All right, that was Dennis Simsek, also known as the Anxiety Guy. I hope you guys got a lot of great information and found some useful tips to help you if you're suffering with heightened levels of anxiety. I especially like Dennis's advice about substituting your time drinking with another activity that gives you similar feelings, whether that be relaxation or joy. Swap alcohol for something that's more healthy and productive, um, but is also seen as a treat. Let's say that could be engaging in a creative project, like I mentioned, or it could be taking a nice relaxing bath with an audiobook. Uh, It could be playing video games for an hour, whatever. Um, The more you engage with these healthy activities, the less likely you are to revert back as you're getting the same amount of pleasure, if not more. Once again, go and check out Dennis's book, uh, Fuck Coping, Start Healing. I'll leave a link to that in the show notes under the episode on my website, uh, which is boozebreakpodcast.com. I'd love to hear from you. So please get in touch on there or on Facebook or on Instagram, both of which are at boozebreakpodcast. Send me a message and tell me about your journey. Uh, For now though, thank you so much for listening. I've been Dan. This is the Boozebreak Podcast and I'll see you in the next one. Peace.